Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Get ready for Mind Shock with Dr. Ron Dalrymple. The premier podcast in the world bringing you hidden truths about your mind's incredible powers. Get ready to free your mind. Everybody, welcome to Mind Shock, Dr. Ron Dalrymple. The show will take you to the outer limits of your mind and to the inner limits, the true final frontier. Our theme for this show is Evolution of the Supermind. I began working at NASA at 17 years old. We put people in space, which we called back then the final frontier. Very exciting time back in the late 60s, really amazing. But at 19 years old while at NASA, I made a discovery that if you consider the mind as an energy field that transcends the physical brain, the true final frontier is inner space, exploration of the true powers of mind. So our mission is to take you to the true outer limits of inner space. Think about that, the outer limits of inner space. There's much there to explore. Our motto for the show is supermind, superbody, and super spirit. In today's chaotic world, Revolution sweeping the globe about who we are, what we are doing here, a mind revolution that is changing everything, holding the theories of mind that turn old science on its head. Old science is three-dimensional and limited to the physical senses. We are developing new models of science that consider N dimensions as N, the letter N, approaches infinity. Today we have a great guest, Teresa Cross, who's written a fascinating book, Secrets of the Druids, really intriguing read. Teresa, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. We all to start you. with asking, yeah, asking our guests if they could tell us some background about how you started on this path in life which led you to this point right here. Please go ahead. Well, back uh, since I was a child, I knew I was of Scottish, Irish, and Welsh descent. And I was very interested in it when I was in my first year of college when I was studying uh, the literature of uh, James Joyce, William Butler Yeats, and so forth, and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and Hugh McDermott. And I started studying about the ancient Celts from that point on while I was taking uh, for, uh, studying for a four-year degree in a bachelor of, science, a bachelor of Arts in English. Uh, I studied linguistics, philosophy of religion, and uh, studied a lot of anthropology and ancient history, as well as formerly ancient literature uh, translated into English. And 
Eventually, I would take up the study of Dalek, which is Scottish Gaelic. And I took Irish with the Connor Naguelga in the 90s. Uh, so I can speak some Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic, that is. And uh, I got interested with the mythology course, uh, comparative mythology of the Indo-European family of languages and cultures. And that led me to study the Druids. Now, I dabbled in Druidism in the late 80s, but by the uh, 90s, I published a book called The Sacred Cauldron. That book mm -hmm. took off for a while, but I had some detractors in the neo-pagan world who were somehow angry with me, and they started a campaign against me, especially one named Isaac Bonowitz. Eventually, it went out of print with Llewellyn in 1996, but it sold uh, 12,700 copies. Uh, jump back to the 2000s. In 2007, my friend Dr. Stephen Flowers wanted to republish it with his small publishing house called Lodestar. And uh, we never did finish you know, editing it, I wanted to edit and redact what I had written and, uh, and update it. Eventually, I would get a contract within the traditions of their own company, and the editor, the acquisitions editor, was excited, and they republished my book, and it came out in December 2020. Nowadays, I practice Celtic Christianity and belong to the community of Aden and Hilda, which is a neo-monastic order, and I am a voyager in it, which means I'm full, fully, you know, installed into it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I still practice Celtic spirituality. I believe in the fairies, so the Danish she, as it's called in Gaelic, and but I don't worship them. I venerate, you know, the spirits. Okay. So you, you practice some of these, these techniques yourself. Can you explain to the audience, please, what exactly that means? You, you practice. Uh, are you a, you're a druid yourself, a druidist? I was, okay. but I, I ceased and went back to being a Roman Catholic in the early 90s. I I'd had my fill of the neo-pagan world, and uh, through my study of Hinduism, I had become... A particular kind of Vedantist called Veda Veda Dvaita Vedanta, which is not the same as Advaita Vedanta, which is that kind of Vedanta is popular, but uh, it's the belief that uh, we are one with the divinity of the universe, but we are separate from it and have our own individual consciousness, but we we ascribe to have union with it. That fitted in with my Christian theology, which I got from John Scudder's area, Jaina, who believed in panentheism, which believes that God is in everything, yet he is also transcendent. The ancient Druids were polytheists. 
And most right. Celtic word constructionists start with the Laogabala Aram, which is the book of invasions, the medieval Irish uh, story of the history of Ireland. That pseudo history is actually based on mythology. And uh, there's a set of characters called, or a family of divinities called the Tuatha de Ganon. And they seem to they seem to represent the old gods of ancient and goddesses of ancient Ireland. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now. So we hey, go ahead. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Hey, go ahead. I was going to say that the uh, the uh, language of ancient Ireland and the Highlands and most of Scotland in the Middle Ages was a form of Gaelic. Puke, which is also known as Puke Celtic, it became Old Irish, and uh, in the Highlands and Islands of Scotland, its descendant is Gaelic or Gaelic, and in Ireland, it's called Irish or Irish Gaelic. Mm -hmm. So okay. I focus in on the Gaels because of my ancestry, but there's also the Welsh, the Cornish, and the Bretons who are also Celtic, and the ancient Gauls, and there were Celts in Spain and Portugal in ancient times. Mm -hmm. And the modern-day Galicians of northwestern Iberian Peninsula are very much believe themselves to be descendants of Celts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Celtic uh, just, people... Yeah. Uh-huh, go ahead. I say is, as its lines of development were going on throughout history, I want to get to eventually the idea that language and thought, and you mentioned this also in your book, language and thought, of course, are intimately related and interconnected. There's a psychological principle called the Worfian, that's W-H-O-R-F-I-A-N, the Worfian hypothesis, which says that thought and language are intimately connected. So what you speak is a reflection of what you think, and also what you think is really modified by what you speak. So, for example, you cannot translate things very easy from one language to another because no words for it to express and mean the same thing. So if all these different groups yeah. are evolving, yeah. how would you say that the states of consciousness were evolving throughout those eras? Well, the Indo-European family of languages is, is a very widespread family. It, uh, it, uh, it's believed to have started somewhere around Russia and Ukraine area and went eastward where they came into Iranian and down into India. It became uh, Sanskrit eventually and several other dialects of Sanskrit that separated into modern languages like Hindi and Urdu and Punjabi and so forth. It, it hung around in the Russian Ukraine area and became Slavic languages. In mm -hmm. Central Europe, it became in the Balkan area, Thracian and Dacian and so forth, and Greek. Greek is also an Indo-European language, and um, also Germanic languages such as English itself, Old Norse and German for example, are Germanic languages. The Celtic branch uh, 
was fucking along the west coast of Europe near the Atlantic Fringe. And there's a new hypothesis of John Pope, K-O-C-H, who believes that Celtic language developed along the Atlantic coast from uh, Spain all the way up to the British Isles and into Gaul, which is now modern France, Belgium, and Switzerland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the rest um, back... Yeah. So yes, and I accept, the, I accept the safer war hypothesis about it that Benjamin Ward came up with. Mm -hmm. It it so, does shape consciousness. Language does. I'm sorry, what was that again, please? Pardon? The, what were you say about the working hypothesis? I, I believe that Languages do shape consciousness to some degree. Yes, exactly. I think uh, yes. Noam Chomsky would have agreed to that. Yes, certainly. And so you're saying the Indo-European, which began in Russia, what era was that about, just ballpark? Well, they believe Indo-European, Proto-Indo-European has been reconstructed by philologists, started around three to 3,000 B.C. 3,500 B.C. Okay. All right. And by the time it developed, by, by 2,000 B.C., it developed into these many branches. Languages are always changing uh, yeah. vocabulary, grammar, and phonetics. Exactly. Exactly. So as people are evolving these different languages and states of consciousness, how is that state of consciousness changing, how would you describe that, because in the various eras, we think that, of course, consciousness is gradually expanding. Nowadays, the world is waking up more and more to a very concept, but in the past, people are often not aware of it, We're not aware that language profoundly affected, affected how you thought and vice versa. But back in those early days, how would you compare what they believed in versus what they did and moving through the eras up to today? How would you describe that? Well, language is constantly changing, and even the English language in America uh, is constantly changing. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the shades of meaning of words and slang and, and various jargon uh, has helped shape the difference in uh, the meanings of the words, the connotations of them. The denotations mm -hmm. may, and di dictionary definitions may be the same, but they, they, they uh, develop new nuances and usages. And that's shaped by, it's an integral part of consciousness shaping language and language shaping consciousness as, it, as these things diffuse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And compared to where it was back then, say 3500 B.C., compared to where it is now, I just think it shows the differential, I'll say, between the state of consciousness. That's a hard question. Uh, could you repeat that, please? Yeah. If you look at the state of consciousness of people back in, say, 3500 B.C. compared to where they are today, how would you distinguish those or differentiate those different states? I know it's a hard question. How would I differentiate them? Well, um, yeah. Yeah. let's give you an example of the word uh, mother. In Proto-Indo-European 
to European, it would be pronounced mater, which became exactly the same in Latin, the A being a long A, it's mater. And then the word for father was uh, pater, and that became uh, pater in Latin. Um, now, in the Germanic languages, uh, the initial P slipped into an X sound, so it became fodder, and the T was softened or voiced, and it became fodder. And eventually, uh, mother became mother, and, uh, and eventually, in modern German, it's father and mutter, but in English, it's mother and father, of course. But the, the, na the words, this is so basic, these words, to human existence, the, the, the word has not changed. In slang, some people use mother short for a, a very uh, derogatory and obscenity, but that still, it still remains mother in English. And we have variants like mama and ma and uh, mom and so forth, but it's still the word mother in English. It, it hasn't changed. Uh, but other words to describe things, many adjectives have shifted in meaning. Uh, for example, in Shakespeare and the King James Version of the Bible, they use the word prevent to mean to uh, encourage. Now it means the opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So certain terms have been most consistent throughout various eras, going back in thousands of years. So certain ideas we find out through different cultures remain the same. But in terms of the overall perception people have of the world, of self, of a higher power, you might say, of course, in the past, people are more polytheistic. They believe in a multiplicity of higher powers or deities. They also you made a lot of interesting points in the book about the Celts, Celtics, and so forth. How they how they believed in a really interesting type of self and also freedom. How would you describe that? The concepts of freedom because it influenced the Western world, I'm sure, in many ways. Oh yeah, the um, freedom is one of those basic things too, uh, but the words are very different from one language to another in the Indo-European family. And mind you, uh, there were some influences of borrowing words from Middle Eastern languages uh, in ancient times for certain metals and for the wheel and things like that. And uh, But uh, for the most part, say, for example, Sanskrit, which is the ancient classical language of India, of the learned people, it was the formal language. Uh, it, its vocabulary and very conservative Lithuanian language have a lot of words that are the same in meaning and the same in pronunciation. Mm -hmm. Although in written form they differ quite a, widely because India uses the Devanagari script, and uh, Lithuanian used the modern Latin alphabet. So that's very striking to linguists. Um, and there's a lot of folklore in Lithuania that is 
uh, fairly recent, there was belief in the older divinities and deities, and sacrifices were made for them by offerings that they buried or poured out liquids uh, to offer to the divinities. Pardon? You talked about that people made sacrifices that often meant that that was part of reciprocity of giving and taking. In other cultures we've talked about on the show, we talk about Ani, for example, in the Andes. In the Andean Code is a concept called Ani, that's A-Y-N-I, meaning reciprocity. Everything is give and take, but whatever you take, you always give back in some kind of balanced measure. And apparently it's also present in the Celtic culture. How would you describe that? Yeah, um, the Celts preserved some very ancient Indo-European features. They were cattle raisers. They practiced transhumans, and they, uh, which means they sought new pastures to put their cattle on and the farm. And um, you know, they spread all over Europe and did a lot of conquests with their warrior class. And the uh, the striking thing about comparative mythology is that George de Maisville, uh, a Swiss scholar in the 20th century, saw that they had a tripartite ideology. They believed that society, uh, ideological functions, and, uh, and uh, their mythology of their divinities all reflected an ideology that there was that there would be three main classes, priests, warriors, and food producers. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so the three primary classes, right? Priests, warrior, and producers. Society broke down various classes of functionality, which we can find, of course, in other cultures as well, in very similar structures. So, folks, we're here today with Teresa Cross and her fascinating book called Secrets of the Druids, which gets into the developments and the etiology as well as the language and structure and faith and belief systems of the druids. There many mythologies created about them. She makes this point in her book, which is really fascinating, that the mythology has been created, there's films made and whatnot, they're often mischaracterized. But from her description, it's really a fascinating culture which influenced the Western world in many ways with often surprising differences. So, folks, we're here today with Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. We'll be back in a few minutes with Teresa Cross. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Thanks. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. ASMC, the premier German company that supplies everything for adventure, from outdoor clothes to outdoor gear, even backpacks, lots of quality, and lots of specials. To start your adventure, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ASMC. 
Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. Remember, positive impacts. www.healthylife.net Welcome back. Dr. Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shock. The guest is Teresa Cross, her fasting book, Seeks and Drews. Teresa, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Okay, great, great. Thanks for having me here. I wanted to ask you now about the concept of metaphysics. You refer to your book, various aspects of metaphysics with the Druids. Please explain to us how you see that. Well, the uh, two inter European groups are language subfamilies of the Indo-Iranians, especially the, the so-called Aryans of India. And I don't mean the Aryans in the Nazi sense. That was a misnomer. Um, these are the people that uh, whom the uh, Hindus descend from, uh, largely. Hinduism is a living Indo-European religion. It has the transmission of the Rig Veda going back uh, to almost almost 2000 B.C. And it was transmitted orally, and it took decades of study, you know, like 20 years, to be memorize all the uh, Sanskrit verses that the Brahmins taught. Um, and this is strikingly similar to what Julius Caesar said about the Druids of Gaul and Britain. They would memorize uh, a great number of verses, and it took 20 years to be a Druid. So you had to start out young, and by the time you were grown, you were uh, fully educated by the Druid class of the Celtic people. Um, Druids were a Celtic uh, priestcraft, they were judges, lawyers, poets, and and settlers of of uh, disputes, uh, and they uh, advised kings. This is exactly what Bachmans did in India, and we find great parallels. Miles Dillon, a great Irish scholar, even wrote a book called Celt and Aryan. When he said Aryan, of course, he meant Indians of India. Um, but uh, his studies were seminal back in the 60s and 70s until he passed away. And uh, I read his book back in the 80s, and uh, it, was, uh, it was very exciting. What the old Irish poets did was very similar to the Rishis of India. This means that Indo-Europeans carried their 
consciousness or metaphysical consciousness from the to the ends of the earth. You know, as far west as Ireland and as far east as India. But the thing is about the metaphysics is that the Indo-Europeans, everything centered on sacrifice. The whole cosmos was made from sacrifice. It turns up in Teutonic mythology in the Norse myth where they have uh, Odin and his brothers, Billy and they, uh, dismembering a giant, a world giant called Emer. And uh, from him they made everything, all physical existence. And in his mind, they created metaphysical or supernatural existence. So the cosmos is a sustained sacrifice. It is, uh, and in the Druid thinking, uh, sacrifice was cyclical. You healed people, that was putting them back together, and you uh, sacrificed things by taking them apart. So it was an endless cycle. And in fact, when you read the mythologies, it comes to the point where they believe, and this is true in Hinduism, uh, and true in some of the uh, old Irish writings like the Seneca Smore, at the Druid believed that they created the universe of cosmos uh, and earth by sustaining their sacrificial rituals. And uh, the exciting thing is that inheritors of the Druids in Ireland became known as Sili, S-I-L-I in Old Irish, F-L-I-D-H. Um, and they were poet philosophers who studied up to 15 years in uh, schools of filioque or poetry, and they were more than just poets. In fact, the word fili, uh, filia, F-I-L-E, as a singular, means a seer. And uh, they were a powerful class in the Middle Ages, or they were Christianized, like they were Druids who uh, believed in the singular God and Jesus and everything, but they carried on traditions that are very ancient that uh, eventually got written down in early Irish, uh, old Irish and middle Irish literature. And um, some scholars think that the Druids were shamans, but shamanism is a little bit different. I mean, the class of Indo-European priesthoods were an oral tradition and it was handed down, and they didn't necessarily alter their state of consciousness through drugs or drum beating. What they did was eat meat from the sacrificed animals, and uh, the classical commentaries accused them of killing human beings. And in fact, we have evidence that they did. But usually it was criminals that they uh, executed either by hanging, burning, or drowning. That was the threefold way of slaughtering. But um, there's another ritual called the Epomedros in Old Gaulish, which was found, the name was found on a coin, and um, an ancient Gaulish coin. And what that literally means is horse, 
uh, intoxication. Medwo's part is related to the word mead in, in English. And mead was the ancient beverage of choice. The Indians used Soma, S-O-N-A, which they also revered as a god. And the Teutonic people used that, used mead as well. And uh, what the uh, sacrifice does is while it creates consciousness and creates the physical existence of the cosmos of the universe, the uh, druid, the head druid, would sit off to the side and make sure no ritual mistakes were made, like in the wording and the carrying out of the, of the sacrifice. They didn't actually do the sacrifice. Uh, they watched and conducted it. And what we found in among the Philae of Ireland in the Middle Ages is that when a Philae, Philae uh, uh, composed a poem, usually it was in praise of a great king or warrior, or it could be it could be a curse or insult, a satire they called it. Um, they uh, sat to the side. And the highest degree of Ophelia was an Olaf, and to this day, that means professor in Gaelic, O-L-L-A-M-H. And um, they would sit to the side and make sure no mistakes were made in the recitation or singing of their poem, which is usually to the accompaniment of a classic or Celtic harp. And um, the interesting thing about that is that we can imagine like the Brahmin of India who did the same thing and um, they had a horse sacrifice too called the uh, Ashwamedha which is etymologically a cognate of Ethel Medvost uh, from Ashva meaning horse and Medha M-E-D-H-A meaning uh, intoxication again. Um, what they did is they believed that the goddess of the uh, land was one with the universe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so there's very close parallels, which is fascinating, between the, the Celtic language and what the Druids believe in practice with that of the Brahmins and the Vedas and whatnot. There are really fascinating parallels. We find this constantly that not only does thought show up in similar places, language shows up in different cultures, as you've mentioned, or different variations of language, but also various beliefs and various practices to make things manifest. Now, one of the big things today that people are studying is how a person make things manifest through their focus, through their creative energy, and so forth, which we'll get back to when we come back. Today with Teresa Cross, her fascinating book, Seeks of Druids, which is really interesting to read, going back over many cultures, many ages, showing how these different concepts might not connect together. So, folks, today we're here, Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock and Teresa Cross, the fascinating book, Seeks of Druids. We'll be back in a few moments. Time for commercials. So hang in there. See you back in a moment. Here's a fun, stimulating program that can teach you how to develop your own powers of creation. It uses a three-part mind, stimulating approach to get you to develop your own creative thinking. It will help you create a powerful self-image and helps you see how you can take creative action. You'll develop your thinking power and your skills, and you can do this in eight days. 
Get Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, Eight Days to Creative Power, on Amazon.com. Overcome your problems with the step-by-step guide. So get Eight Days to Creative Power on Amazon.com. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind toward success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery, a powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Dr. Ryan Dalrymple on Mind Shock. They've had Teresa Cross and great books. Secrets of the Druids. Teresa, how are you doing? I'm doing very good. Okay, great. Good to have you here. I'm going to jump in on this segment, talking about the powers of manifestation and what nine with the Druids do about that and how they worked on that or accomplished that. But first off, what do we know about how the Druids might have derived from or connected to Egypt, Greece, India, and some of those places of metaphysical development going back to the ancient ages? What can you tell us about that, please? Uh, the Druids, like the uh, Brahmins and, and the Indians, the Hindus, uh, they, uh, especially the Vedic religion, um, believe in the concept of the power of truth. And Druids were interested in that. It's almost like truth was reified as almost a deity. Uh, and the old Irish word for truth, of course, is Thirina, uh, F-I-R-I-N-N-E. And uh, I forget the Sanskrit word for it, but it'll come to me eventually. But they believed that truth was a very powerful thing. It was almost like uh, consciousness, a metaphysical consciousness that uh, resided in the power of truth. And... Uh, that if you speak the truth, you make it manifest in one fashion or another. And um, this kind of relates to uh, some close concepts. For example, in the Greco-Roman Stoicism, they would call it logos, which, of course, became uh, the sacred word, really means thought or consciousness or reason. And... um, they believed it was a, a thing that permeated everything. The Stoics did, and so did the Druids believe truth was. And, uh, and it even turns up in the Gospel of John as translated usually as word, but it's usually translated as thermo in the vulgar Latin, S-E-R-M-O. But 
truth was manifested and and uh, incarnated in the flesh in Jesus Christ in Christianity, whereas truth was never uh, manifested in any kind of avatar or uh, or uh, or uh, concrete person. It was an abstract thing that uh, that any time truth became arrived at, the ultimate truth, it was very powerful. I can say that. And I think the Egyptians had a similar idea. I think they called it Ma'at, M-A apostrophe A-T. But, uh, and there was, uh, there's many manifestations of that idea, that concept in many religions. Um, and, um, uh, the other metaphysic is that they had a, in in uh, the early literature, they had the uh, a threefold idea of the earth, and it kind of reflected the threefold idea about the human body uh, and the cosmos, because it was created by the sacrifice. Uh, hu- parts of the human body had a, was a three-layer take too. You had the mind or the brain in the head, which is the top. Then you have the heart and the lungs. That's the middle. And then the genitals and the stomach and intestines as the uh, bottom layer. And there's an old Irish uh, uh, treatise called The Cauldron of Poesy by Scholars. And uh, it had no title, but... They've named it that, and that would translate into Gaelic as Cordonophiliacta. But uh, we just call it the, the three cauldrons. The three cauldrons is uh, the cauldron of uh, energy or mind, the cauldron of the center, which is the cauldron of emotion, and the third cauldron is the cauldron of uh of uh, warming, and they believe that you filled and emptied these cauldrons as you learned your poetic art, and the middle one was of experiences and your emotions, and uh, it helped people with their, uh, it helped the feelings with their ability to uh, use their learning and their poetic uh, art to transform people and to transform the universe actually if you go back to the ancient sacrificial idea um, it's very fascinating and you get this kind of ideas uh, similar ideas in Plato's Republic you get similar ideas in Teutonic mythology Old Norse mythology and you get this in India, where it's developed into nine chakras, and uh, uh, you meditate on these metaphysical energy centers of the body. Anyway, it's, it's very fascinating to me how these things uh, play out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a fascinating thing. You meditate upon the various energy centers of the body, 
exactly what we had a guest talking about a few weeks ago. He was talking about yoga and the bud, Chris Killam, talking about doing lots of yoga, very intense, deep breathing, the breath of fire, which is very powerful, while focusing upon the various chakras, the seven or eight chakras of the energy field, which goes back to the Hindus and the Buddhists. So you activate those energy fields. The chakras are wheels of fire. The idea is as you bring them all up to higher frequencies and in attunement with each other, they take on great power acting in concert together to help you make things manifest in the world, but also to heal your body and to help others and to raise up society around you. How do you feel about that? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I can relate to it. There was a discussion on Facebook about Chuck Lozona, Druidry and Christianity page, and I said, well, um, among the Celts, it would be three cauldrons that are energy centers of the body, and they relate to your uh, your thinking, your experiences, and your uh, very uh, basic living. It's almost like Abraham Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. And um, in that you must satisfy the belly and the sex in order and sexual functions in order to produce and in order to uh, sustain the body. And then second, you have your uh, strength and your emotions and your uh, actions to uh, to uh, manifest your body's work like the warriors defend and fight. And then you have the mind, which is like the druids, where you think and you have your five senses of hearing, sight, smelling, and so forth. So, um, yeah, I think that's what's going on in that material. Although it's, it's couched in poetic language in the cauldron of posy, uh, but, uh, uh, and, and it mentions Avrigan Bloomdale, a character from the Tour de Don and Malician stories, but it has no references to the divinities that have been Christianized and they refer to God in it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it ties in with the metaphysics and the philosophy of the Druids. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. A lot of parallels there in ancient philosophies that led to this concept today. Folks, you're here today with Teresa Cross, her great book, The Secrets of the Druids. Teresa, please tell the audience where they can find out more about you, if you're doing seminars, webinars, and so forth, and, of course, where to find your book. Please go ahead. My book is being sold by Inner Traditions directly. Uh, it retails for $20. On Amazon, it is advertised with a preview of it that you can click on, and it has my biography there, and uh, so far it's gotten very good reviews. The Witches Almanac uh, wrote up a very good review of my book, and I'm proud of that. And uh, I uh, I consulted Celtic Reconstructionists uh, in my modern, in my new edition, second edition, Secrets of the Druids. And uh, I uh, regularized the, the jargon or language of it by using old Irish instead of using reconstructed Gaulish forms, so it's easier to read. And I, um, I have like a dozen 
appendices in the back, including parallels of, of Vedic religion, of the Hindus, and Celtic religion, and parallels from other uh, sources of the Indo-European family. Um, I also have a, a uh, simplified grammar of Gaulish. Uh, I don't. I have the the masculine, feminine, neuter, but I don't have the dual versus the plural versus the singular. I, I eliminated the dual because, you know, you have to get deep into it to get into that part of the linguistics. Um, but uh, Celtic languages are verb-subject-object languages, and everything goes to that word order, that syntax. Um, you put the verb first, then the subject, then the object. Uh, and uh, that's, that's Although in ancient times, you could rearrange the syntax because the conjugations of the verb and the uh, declensions of the nouns and their case endings would tell you where you're going in the sentence. But uh, uh, so in that case, it's kind of like Latin, Sanskrit, and Greek, and Gothic, an ancient Germanic language. and. Uh, but uh, the other things I have in the book are should be a very interest to not just neo-pagans, but people interested in what Druids did, what they believed, and what they taught, or as it was transmitted, how it ended up in the medieval literature of Ireland. And you can get the book on Amazon. You can get it from Inner Traditions, and it was. Uh, Carried by Barnes and Noble in their stores, so you can. There's a variety of ways to order the book. Uh, on Amazon, they even have some discounted copies too. Mm -hmm. That's great, great. Patricia, thanks a lot for being here. We appreciate it, and uh, we honor your work. Thank you for doing that, and contributing to the world of knowledge and growth and development. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you. Okay, great, great, folks. Here today, Teresa Cross. Check out our book, Secrets of the Druids, available in many places. Thanks a lot, Dr. Ryan Dalrymple with Mindshock. We'll be back in a few moments, folks, for our final wrap-up. Get 366 Proverbs of Peace, Prosperity, and Power with Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, I Love You, God. This book will lift you up when you are down as it helps you focus on positive higher thoughts. It helps you attain peace and harmony every day. It will even help you build better relationships, self-esteem, and get a better feeling of self-worth. I Love You, God is the perfect book to bring peace to the world one person at a time. Get your copy of I Love You, God by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. Eclectic Talk with a Positive Twist, HealthyLife.net. Howdy, folks. Back again, Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. We had today a great guest, Teresa Cross, who wrote a book called Secrets of the Druids and some other works. We have a fascinating topic going back through history. The Druids have often been misinterpreted and mischaracterized in films and books and so forth, and very 
strange and bizarre way. Caesar encountered them when he, of course, invaded uh, what was called Britannica back then, or Breton. And they've existed in many various forms throughout Europe and throughout thousands of years. They carried initially what, what evolved into their language was Indo-European languages, going back, as you mentioned, some 3,500 years B.C., They've been around for a long time, and that language languages change over time greatly with culture. We talk about how language and thought are connected together. The working hypothesis states that what you think reflects your language, and vice versa. Your language, of course, changes how you think. So that some things can't be translated from one language to another very accurately. There's many distortions built into it. One question is, of course, how do we make things manifest into the world? A lot of approaches now have been given since the secret came out, which the ideas have been known far, far, far antecedent to the secret. But people often use the law of attraction to make things manifest, don't have much success with it because they're doing certain things incorrectly. One thing to think about, though, is that as you focus on ideas very intensely and with great concentration, and she said by speaking the truth, the truth of your thought, that you help to bring things together. Now, back in, in more, not to say primitive, more earlier tribal groups and whatnot and various cultures, people would get together and beat on drums to help focus their emotions and their thought energies and focus their thoughts upon the same concept. So you have many people, drums also help bring them in synchrony with each other. So you've always focused with the thoughts synchronized in a very powerful way where the wave energy, remember the wavelength and frequency energy are tied together. So here they would make them concentrate. So if you have, say, 100 people thinking the same thoughts, feeling the same emotions, that projects very powerful energy which can influence the world around you. It's just another form of you know, chanting and drum beating goes back through history. These are ways that people can combine their energies. They probably weren't quite sure how they were doing it. They're usually appealing to like the idea of a God and so forth. But what's happening was they're focusing their own internal energies, their own powers to make an influence upon the external world and also do healing through the physical body. So the Druids contained certain aspects of metaphysical knowledge. The, the, the Druids themselves were like the priests of the Celtic culture. It's like, as you mentioned, many, many decades learning the concepts. It's an old tradition. They learned how to repeat these ideas throughout their, their own history. And it parallels other approaches used by other groups. So it's really a fascinating thing. So these rituals were used to focus thoughts and emotions on various common goals. It's also used back in Egypt and in Greece and whatnot, and also allegedly back in Atlantis. These ideas were used, or these approaches were used to help things manifest in the world. It was intriguing how all these different approaches kind of differentiated back many, many years ago. We talked before about how some of the ancient ideas came probably from Atlantis, if you accept that idea, and then kept hidden. The Andean Code talks about how some 10, 12,000 years ago, these ideas, these great inner concepts were taken up to the Andes, which then played a role in the evolution of Machu Picchu and so forth, the, the Great Pyramid of Giza. Some believe go back to 86,000 years ago. It was not built by the Egyptians some three to 5,000 years ago. That's a fallacy. So many ancient structures on Earth that reflect the presence of prior cultures. Now, suppose when those prior cultures fell, we raised disaster. We talked about there are perhaps four prior cultures on Earth, and this is the fifth. We've got a big chance here to make it or break it because the world can destroy itself by nuclear weapons and corruption and so forth. We're trying to pull all our forces together and transcend those negative levels. But think about how in the past when things were destroyed, all these different languages and cultures went off in different directions, and different cultures didn't evolve from them. What's happening now is they're all integrating back together. Well, if you went in different directions, 
sort of like the, the Tower of Babel, going off different directions, different languages broke up, all had different experiences in different parts of the world. So consciousness kept growing from these different experiences. Now what's happening is an integration of these ideas, bringing them back together to a higher state. So we are higher conscious beings. We have a higher purpose upon Earth. And our goal is to bring that forth and bring it to a focus in this world. And to that end, we wrote the, the book, Quantum Field Psychology, which integrates prior theories of psychology and philosophy together with math, physics, calculus, and so forth, to show that there's a connection between spirituality and science. It is, it is a hard science approach. It's also a theory of everything that explains the universe in terms of math, physics, psychology, philosophy, and so forth, and brings it all together into a new set of comprehensions. But different parts of these ideas go back through history. And the Andean Code, for example, is stated by Dr. Rod, Rod Salentes, is very similar to quantum field psychology. It's interesting that these ideas, you spoke about truth, you know, truth is a set of ideas that exist at a higher abstract level, that they are repeated throughout history and keep appearing. So in any case, folks, check out our film, The Endless Question. Check out Teresa's book, Cuse and Druids. We also have a series of books, of course, such as Eight Days of Creative Power, The Inner Manager, I Love You, God, and, of course, Quantum Field Psychology. All these build towards the idea that there's something much higher inside us. Once we tap into, we can really help transform not just ourselves, but the entire world around us. So, folks, thanks for being here today. We really appreciate it. We honor your presence. We honor you. Thanks for listening to Mind Shock with Dr. Ron Dalrymple. Please come back next week for another exciting episode. We have many great guests lined up in the future. Take care. Thanks for being here, and God bless.